welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the favorite jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, arranger, guitarist from Northern Finland, Yussi Raomi. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today, we have UC Rayoman. Rayonen, N-E-N, like Nancy, Edward Nancy. Okay, Rayoman. Okay. Well, he's joining us today. And sir, thank you. We had recording issues earlier, but we're back and we're live. So, sir, please give the audience an introduction of yourself. Um, Yeah, thanks for having me, Leander. Um, I am UC Rayonen. As we say in Finnish, Americans say UC Rayonen. Um, I'm a composer, fretted and fretless guitarist, and oud player, composer. And um, yeah, I, I'm originally born in northern Finland uh, on the Arctic Circle, but grew up in different parts of the Middle East and East mm-hmm. Africa. And then later spent 13 years in the US East Coast, Boston, New York. And yeah talking about my new record, I guess. Okay. Well, first thing I want to say is that pretty much everywhere where you lived comes out in this album, and that clearly has a, how should I say, uh, has a good motive or a big, I don't know, part of you, I guess, because you have one song where you're playing like Middle Eastern gypsy type stuff. Then there's one thing where it's like a classical Baroque feel to it. Then it goes into a jazz swing deal. It's has a whole bunch of parts in the album that I actually like, and that's even in the song. So can you mm-hmm. at least tell me your method of writing that and how you came up with this unique sound? Well, thank you very much, man. Um, I think that how to put all this together has really been kind of a driving question and driving energy behind what I do since I started to to play and to try to compose original music because you know I having moved from Finnish Lapland to Amman Jordan when I was six and I was there put into an American community school but it was in a Jordanian environment so my friends were from all over the world I didn't speak a word of English at six years old but I had to learn damn quick um, so that and then from there, moving back to Finland gives a little bit of a kind of reverse adjustment period. You kind of have to adjust again to where you had originally traveled from. Then from there, we moved to Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, back to Finland, from there to Muscat, Oman, from there to Beirut, Lebanon. Eventually, as as a young adult, I moved to the States to to study music. So this has been really a thing where all of those influences of the Nordic, Northern Finnish, Arabic, East African, later American culture as an environment, it, it's really been a big part of, I mean, I, I would say a formative part of my life experience. And what I've always tried to do is figure out after I realized that these are also sonic influences, musical, cultural influences, um, not only in how I express myself verbally, but 
body language and also when I talk about the music, just the the fact that I started to come up with original ideas at some point when I was, you know, a late teenager or some somewhere thereabouts, I started to notice that a lot of subconscious influences had kind of been absorbed. So I heard a lot of like every all the ideas that I were, was attracted to or kind of going for, I could trace that they had a very strong Arabic influence. It wasn't something that I really sought out. I it was something that I couldn't really ignore either, as I was trying to put together my own ideas. I always had this fascination that I think revealed itself a bit retroactively after we'd already moved back to Finland. So a lot of this is really me trying to figure out how to portray in sound this cultural hybridity that makes a ton of sense to me as a as an individual. Okay. As, uh, what yeah, question? Good. So why made your family move from Finland down there? So my father, before he retired, um, well, first I should say that he's always been a very curious individual, somebody who wanted to see the world. I mean, he was, he spent the summers in between his days at university hitchhiking around Europe with no money, just wanting to explore and see what's out there beyond the borders of Finland. So he was always somebody who wanted to work also as a telecommunications engineer outside the country. And he got a job in Jordan in 87. So that's when the family moved there. And, you know, he spent his career designing telephone networks in the Middle East, in many countries in Africa, South America, like in also Beirut after the Civil War, trying to get the phones to really actually work again. So it was really that, that pattern of his curiosity and also because at a certain point in the early 90s, there was a recession in Finland. It was hard for him to get work back, I would say, in quotes, home. Kind of a loose concept. That's an <laughs> but um, it he he had more work outside Finland, and he had to support the family, so that's why we traveled as much as we did. Is there a reason why he moved the family with every job or gig he got, versus just keeping you guys stationed there? Well, it was more just this commitment to keeping the family together, so we wouldn't have him working for years at a time away from the family. That happened then later when I, I had started, you know, by the time I had started the equivalent of American 10th grade, I think I'd been to something like nine different schools. So as a teenager, I started to kind of rebel against the constant moving. <laughs> so oh. that's when the family settled in Finland. Then my father did shorter solo trips. Okay. Mask, what was the main reason why you rebelled? This is curious for me personally. That's uh, so the main reason for why you rebelled. You just got sick of packing up and moving every year. Yeah, it was that that kind of. I think it was a sort of combination of the. I don't know if this is a word, but the muchness of it all. And you know, when you're a teenager, fourteen, fifteen, right about there, you're going through a lot of personal evolution and coming to terms with new hormones that you didn't know you had and kind of the discovering yourself as a social individual. And I found that 
the more we moved, the more introverted I got. It was kind of this thing of, I started to feel less inclined to even try to make new friends in a new country because I think subconsciously I didn't know when we were going to move again. Teenager friends are a big deal and I wanted to, you know, dare to go talk to girls and all this kind of stuff. And I was just becoming this very withdrawn, more introverted person than I think I felt I was, but it was just, it was a lot to deal with all that moving. Okay. And when during all this did you pick up the guitar? What made you decide that instrument? It's actually a funny story. Um, since I was four, I was obsessed with the drums. So I never even played a drum set. But I remember playing along with records with pencils, just turning an office chair around. And that was my drum set with pencils or chopsticks or whatever was around the house. And just pretending I was the drummer. I don't know why. That went on from about age four till age 13. And I kept begging my parents for a drum set. Can we please have a drum set? Eventually, they thought that, okay, if we can find one that we can afford and you're really committed to it, we can take a look. And a friend of mine was turned out selling a drum set, an old Russian drum set. and. He told me that he'd paid, I think, 800 Finnish marks. This is before the Euro, mm -hmm. which is maybe, you know, maybe $150 or something like this. But he was asking for 3000 which is almost four times the amount. And me being a very, uh, let's say, reactive 13-year-old, I got so offended that I asked my father to play guitar instead. So I was 13 years old. <laughs> Okay. I don't know why he wanted four times the price. Was there a reason? Businessman. I don't know. I mean, I think he he was just looking to turn a profit, but I thought it was so outrageous that I just changed that, changed course. And one factor in that was that I had a lot of other friends who played guitar and the guitar had been a big part of the music that I've been listening to since I was four. Okay. So there was a lot of rock music in the house and stuff like that. So I think it was a natural choice. I still, I feel like, well, maybe I would have been a better drummer. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, it's a superior instrument, so I understand. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what made you actually go to the States in Boston? You said you were settled. Yeah, I, I was in a situation where, you know, I started to study music formally very late. So I started to play when I was 13, but I didn't take lessons really until I was about 22. So I started a conservatory in, in Helsinki in Finland when I was 22. And it was kind of an interesting situation because I started to get a lot of professional gigs in Helsinki and the Finnish scene and with well-known pop stars and what have you. And I didn't quite feel ready for that yet because I'd had, you know, from 13 to 22, being kind of autodidactic and learning from friends and our magazines and hoardings and by ear and all this kind of stuff. There was a lot of holes in what I was able to do and what I understood about music. So then when all of a sudden to pretend to be professional, I discovered there were so many holes in what a, like that. I, I just needed to kind of go back to the drawing board and 
get a more solid foundation. And that eventually brought me to Boston. Um, I was uh, 27 when I moved to Boston. I went to Berklee College of Music there. Later did my master's at New England Conservatory and just, you know, what was intended as a one year long trip ended up being 13. So <laughs> this life happened. One thing on that, because people go to the conservatories to get the professional gigs with the pop stars and all that stuff. So you had the gigs and you still decided to go to the conservatory. Yeah, you know, so one thing about the culture in Finland is that at least when I was working there, this is before, let's say between 2003 and 2008, thereabouts, there's a, a hard work and honesty, integrity are very core to Finnish culture. They're values that are really, really emphasized. So what that meant at the time for musicians was that more work you had, in other words, the more gigs you had, the more respected you were. And the counterfactual to that is you don't say no to gigs. Got you. So I, and I knew that if I started to say no to gigs because I wanted to practice, I wouldn't get called again. So I was kind of in this dilemma of I'm getting better gigs than what I can handle, which is not going to go well down the line. And I wanted to enjoy the music that I played. And this was not because the music was not what I liked, but it was because I didn't know what play it well enough at the time. So there was that. And then on the other hand, there was this thing of, well, you can't say no. So how do I solve this? I decided that I needed, if I was really honest with myself, I needed so much work on my foundation that I decided that, well, you know, if I now have this opportunity to go to Berkeley, that will put everything on pause and I can really buckle down and go to the shed and just a night and day for however long I can stay at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. So it was more kind of a, I suppose in a, in a sense, maybe a self-preservation type of movement. <laughs> no, I understand that much when you explain it like that. Still a weird dilemma. How did the, the artists or the people getting you the gigs take that move? I mean, they understood. Um, I think the reason I got those gigs and I kept getting called was I, I was overcompensating my lack of foundation by always being overprepared. So I often, I was the person who knew the repertoire. I knew everything to a note, but if I had to then react in the moment and do something else, improvise and re react by ear, that's where I started to notice, you know what, I can't hang. So there, I remember one tour in particular, I got a call for a major celebrity in Finland, person who won the Finnish equivalent of American Idol, got a call to sub with, I think, some like three days notice. Mm -hmm. That really, really put things into perspective for me. You know, these days it wouldn't be that big of a deal, but back then it was so much that that, that kind of brought things into focus. Okay, you got some homework to do, man. <laughs> okay, so the Boston scene versus the Finnish scene. How would you describe them? Or just the U.S. Mm -hmm. scene, if Boston doesn't really have a major pop scene to your standard? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't really looking into the or looking for the pop scene, so I don't really know too much about that. I was even in Finland when I was playing with these stars and what have you, I was still really looking for an avenue to do what I'm essentially doing now, the album that that just came out. But so my focus was really going to Boston was I was looking for people who can operate in these sort of transcultural musical spaces. And I what I found in Boston was scene was so much more diverse, much more advanced. I mean, but at the same time, it was really the environment was also so inspiring. And because the stakes were kind of higher, I came from a conservatory of 13 guitar players to Berkeley, which had at the time 1000 guitarists. So there was a little bit of adjustment needed for that too. But I really, really loved my time in Boston and then New York and then Boston as well. It really challenged me. I got to learn from musicians from all over the world and met the guys who now play in my nonet or from six different countries altogether and all that. So it was definitely an eye opener and a very healthy challenge. But um, yeah, really amazing people, amazing players. Okay. So how did you get this album together? What made you put this one together? This one was a very long overdue follow-up to my album on which i released in 2013 it was a self-release but i was unable to compose for many many years after i released that and it took me a long time to figure out where that was coming from so it took me until so on came out in 2013 i started finally trying to write in i think april 2020 when the Mm-hmm. And all the gigs, all the tours, all the other work was kind of like, okay, there's just silence now. The canvas. I don't have other commitments. I can't use my other gigs as an excuse. Oh, so, sit your ass down, start writing. It took about eight months of that before it started to really come together. Um, I had fragments. Eight but months. Okay. eight months of just banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out, am I even, do I have anything to say? What do I want to do? But then it took me a good 12 months to write this. It was really the outcome of a lot of, I think, personal, uh, how can I say, like personal growth in the sense that I, I had to really look at why had I been feeling this creative block, what had been inhibiting me from expressing myself musically. And part of it had to do with finding my place in between these cultures that I'm not representative of, always welcomed me, but I'm also so inspired and influenced by them musically, and uh, as an individual, that how do I reflect that honestly without appearing to be just a thief or do it in a superficial way? Because I, I had this instinct that in my sense, there is a way to do this. 
but I did not know how. That was part of, I was doubting a lot of my own, uh, how can I say it? But I questioned a lot of what am I allowed to do it that way. But you went to Berkeley and you're questioning what you're able to do. Some of the most out there music I ever heard in my life came from Berkeley students. Yeah, I mean, I would say that it wasn't so much about that. It was more like, what am I allowed more than what am I able? I was more, I'm, I'm very aware of the limits of my ability. There's, a, I'm trying to push those boundaries out all the time, but it was more this kind of, who is a guy born on the Arctic circle and the Arabic Oud? What, I mean, what do you have to say? <laughs> what can you do that is deep, authentic to yourself? Also, how do you acknowledge the inspiration of the source? There, there was a lot of this kind of questioning that I had towards all the cultures that the musical traditions that have influenced me. So that was a big part of it for sure. The other part of the entanglement had to do with, I think, what took a lot longer to, for me to realize was that this had to do with the family dynamics. The fact that in my family, I had often kind of given space to others. Made my own expression, that family system smaller to realize that that kind of came to focus in 2018, five years after first record. And then I realized, okay, so here's, here's something that I need to look at. So it was a lot of this very entangled threads that had created this knot that had resulted in this kind of thing that I, I just felt kind of, uh, like I didn't have a voice to speak anymore, much less if I did, what do I have to say? Does that make any sense? No, that makes sense to me. Hopefully the people listening understand that part, but <laughs> what I don't get is like, if you from the Arctic Circle and then you get moved down to the Middle East at such a young age, mm -hmm. and you said you were in nine different countries or 11? I, no, nine different schools at a certain schools, point. Schools, I'm sorry. But, but I mean, I... That's a what whole journey uh, right there. It is. Um, but I think it's also, for me, one thing that I got from my parents was, well, that was really instilled in me was, you know, be honest, have integrity. In music, that was always something that I've been trying to aspire towards. How do I do this in an honest, authentic way? Not authentic necessarily to any particular tradition, but authentic to I am in between all of these. So, it, because there's so many influences that just between the tuning systems alone, to take very kind of yes. particular example, like the tuning systems between Arabic music than the 12-tone tempered system that you find on a piano and the issues that that has influenced, whether it's the quote-unquote classical music or then also in jazz, which is an interesting nation of the microtonality of the blues, then the 12-tone tempered piano-driven things and the har harmony. The modal influences that come from different traditions in the world that have 
been absorbed into jazz like Coltrane or whoever. And there's just so much like, how, how do you put this puzzle together <laughs> so that it actually resonates? Okay, in your case, what do people misunderstand about the music world or music scene? Because you're coming from all this different stuff, all the different tunage, all that stuff. So, I don't know if it. Are, are, are you asking what do they understand, misunderstand about what I do, or what you about, do? Hmm. It's hard to generalize. I think um, I often am in positions, or I'm. I not that I am in position. I'm often put in positions where I, I, I have to kind of defend what I do a little bit, because I am a. In, depending on how how some other person perceives me and what I do, I can appear the foreigner in a situation. I acknowledge that in many ways that that's absolutely true. I'm not claiming be of any culture, including Northern Finnish culture or Finnish culture, and to represent any given culture. What I try to make as clear as I can is that, to put it this way, if I, I look at my, my history in, in Jordan, you know, Oman, Lebanon, best and all that. I think it would be disrespectful of me if I didn't acknowledge the influence that those cultures have had on my my life. So I, I look at it more like a, it's a way to say thank you. Hope that that's something that comes across because definitely not trying to I'm, I'm trying to be very, very delicate so that it doesn't come across as cultural appropriation. But there's that, there's that, that question is always kind of hanging. I think everything is cultural appropriation though, man. Because yeah, I, it's, but isn't it interesting because that, yes, there are ways to be disrespectful, of course, but I think that acknowledging the influence of another culture is also, I think, or can be a compliment, depending on how it's done. Explain that a little more to me. Well, let's just, talking about Arabic music, the fact that for somebody who is first exposed to that in the environment at age six, that it becomes such a self, that becomes such a dominant inspiration, dominant in, in the positive sense, and dominant influence Arabic culture in who I become as a person, as a musician, that to me speaks volumes about how incredible that tradition, that culture is, that it has that kind of power, somebody else to be that influential. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. That was just something I was curious about. <laughs> So, what would you be doing as your next project? Do you have anything in mind yet? So far, I'm very focused on trying to get this. I mean, you know, this is an album made with a nine-piece ensemble, so I'm still 
it just came out October 14th. So it's been out just over a month. So I'm really focused on trying to get us on the road on festival stages. Just performed the whole suite once at the album release show in Darling Lee Performance Rockford, Massachusetts about two weeks ago. So my main project is to really work on translating this music to a live concert setting, then play in as many places wherever people will have us possible. And then I do have new ideas for the next album. I definitely don't intend to spend nine years between. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think that creatively I'm in a much healthier, more inspired, freer headspace. So I think it's just now about time management still self-managed even though I have a record label so a lot of the day-to-day -day stuff of running the band Kings all that's up to me so kind of trying to delegate my time a little bit more now starting the transition back to okay next record somewhere floating around that I need to get out there I don't know what the instrumentation is going to be it depends on what the music needs but we're yeah very excited to to see where this goes okay and question, if you could remove all the barriers, constrictions, and everything on a project, what would be your dream project and who would be on it? You're talking about practical barriers. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, I know what right. you mean by that. <laughs> <laughs> even, um, even the money ain't an issue. But. Okay, okay, right. Um. I've been so lucky to get to play with the people that I played with. This record was kind of playing that that mind game with myself. Okay, this is the music that I've composed. The music asked for a certain instrumentation. If there were no practical barriers like money or logistics or schedules or what have you, who would I love to have played my music? And these are the guys that you hear on the record. That's why I have Jason Palmer on trumpet, Ulut Gulen on trombone, Leif Sadiq on violin, Nassim Alaprash on cello, Uttar Artun on microtonal piano, Al Miles on bass, Eta Gawa on percussion, and Basil Cooper on drums. It was really this, exactly that exercise, like, okay, what is possible? Who are the best individuals to play this music? And fortunately, all of them said yes. Um, but given that this is a non-net and the guys are very, very busy, you know, they play with Snarky Puppy and Kimbra and Cecilia McLaurin, Salvant, Danilo Perez, all these guys, you know, I, I do have to always be some, you know, okay with, with the idea that there are other musicians who come as subs. So we, for instance, album release show, we had Robin Eubanks on trombone, which was incredible. We had Herman Mehari on trumpet and flugelhorn. Jason was out with Mark Turner. So I, I'm so spoiled that these are the people who are interested in playing with me. But it depends on the music. You know, I think it would be great if there was no financial barriers. There was just funding to do something responsibly, not to splurge, but to do something 
where the costs don't come in the way of creativity. And then I just start to look for people that I have a great vibe with. There's, there's definitely a few that I've very shyly dreamed of one day playing with like Brian blade be incredible. Brian blade, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's so many, um, yeah, there's too many to even start to kind of go down the list, but I mean, there, there's certain, certain types of players when, when, when you hear them, it's like, okay, they're that, that is somebody that resonates for whatever reason with you. Yeah. I understand. So one other question I need to ask your percussionist. Yes. How do you know him from, I mean, were you knew him from the Boston scene in general? Keita. Yeah, um, Keita. He came on the show Ke before. Yeah, okay, okay. So, so Keita and I, we first, we didn't go to school together, but we first played a gig with a Lebanese singer, Christian Karam. Um, I think it was at Regatta Bar in Boston. So Keita and I met at the rehearsals and it was this instant of gravitation. I think it kind of goes back to what I said earlier that I, my original obsession was drums. And I also, I've loved different kinds of sounds. So when you put that together, you get a multi-percussionist. So I've always had a thing about percussion and players who do, who play many instruments like Geta does. So then when he and I played, it was just this instant musical attraction. And so we played that gig later. He, I invited him to sit in on a gig that we did at Shapeshifter Lab in New York City with when we were still touring my first album. Okay. So there we had Tare Rantisi on percussion, who was main guy in that quartet and Keita played percussion as well. So with this record, you know, and having kept tabs, okay, Keita is one of these that love the hang, ears, the musicianship, that we have to do something together at some point. So I, when the music started to ask for percussion, it was so clear it had to be Keita. What he's done on the record, which, you know, it is saying something because of the fact that we also have Vassal Cooper on the drums, that Keita is able to navigate the space in a nonette with as many instruments as he has and have just paint in all of all the space are there and also take space when there's space to be taken. I mean, the way that he navigates that push and pull between how big are the sounds that he's using, frequency range, how big are they in volume? What's the right color for this? Like for this record, I don't think I told Geta anything after giving him the scores, which were kind of like just the forms. And then but let's see what happens. It was, he had a complete vision from start to finish. That is beautiful. <laughs> okay. And, and one other thing, and then I'll let you go. What is the best compliment you ever received off your music? There was one moment I remember very clearly. Um, they, these kind of related to the, to the same type of thing. On my first album, On, there was a, a piece called Tumani Blues for Mick, which was an homage to Tumani Diabate, the Kora virtuoso from Mali, my mentor Mick Goodrick. So it was kind of this Kora-influenced blues thing that I did. 
I remember the first time I played it, it was a I think guitar night at Berkeley. And as I was playing it, I became aware of this stillness, this silence in the room. And then that moment of this music holds people's attention that we're having some kind of experience together like that. That was something that you don't get a bigger compliment that is unspoken. This is before any applause before any words this is that listening presence that we're connecting here that's something that it's it's magical i mean there's no better compliment than that okay well sir could you give us the information of where to find your album your social media your website etc yes so you can find my album which is entitled three seconds kolometoista on all the streaming platforms. So if you Google my name, it's Yusireyon, which is J-U-S-S-I-R-E-I-J-O-N as a Nancy, E-N as a Nancy. You'll find me everywhere, YouTube, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music. My website is just yusireyonen.com, J-U-S-S-I-R-E-I-J-O-N-E-N.com. Follow me on social media is Instagram is at Yusireyonen, Facebook at Yusireyonen Music. Um, and yeah, my website is a good source for everything that you can go from there. But yeah, it'd be great to hear people's thoughts on, on the new record and exchange some ideas. Okay. Well, sir, thank you for coming on. It means a lot. <laughs> okay. Thank and, you, everyone. The end of an improv exchange. Thank you. Enjoy your day. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.